This is the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, Caitlin Deal and James Lee. Hey, welcome back to our extended episode on deacons. If you didn't catch part one, we recommend stopping this episode, downloading part one, and taking a listen because it primes a lot of the conversation we're having this episode. If you listen to part one, awesome. We hope that this episode will be just as informative and encouraging. In part two, we have the same guests, Reverend Dr. Daryl Stevens, Reverend Kathleen Stoles, and Reverend Tom Lank, engaged in a roundtable discussion about their current ministries, the current ministry of deacons in general, and how deacons can be used in the church and in the near and far future as the church continues to adapt to the world's needs. And now for part two of The Church Abridged, What Are Deacons? Thank you everyone once again for doing this amazing podcast opportunity. I'm so excited. We've never done this before where we have a round table of five (laughs) people. We have Tom Lank, Kathleen Stoles here live in the studio, and we have Dr. Daryl Stevens coming in to us via Skype. Um, Daryl, will you sign my copy of Methodist Morals? <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for the plug. Sure. <laughs> you know, I know you guys were in conversation before about a little bit about your ministry, but can you again give us a brief summary of your ministry at the present moment? Um, so I'm... Uh, Reverend Tom Lank. My primary appointment is as the jurisdictional coordinator for the Northeastern Jurisdiction, which is the 10 annual conferences in the Northeast, for the United Methodist Volunteers and Mission Program. And then my secondary appointment, because deacons always have to have an appointment to a local church as well as their primary appointment if that's not a local church. My secondary appointment is with the Haddonfield United Methodist Church, and I've worked out a relationship there with the senior pastor as to um, what that will look like. It, it's mostly right now uh, consulting and giving advice to them on their missions program and offering classes during their Wednesday night programming a couple of times a year. Um, but then you asked about a ministry. So uh, the stuff that I don't get paid for or appointed to <laughs> is that I am also the chair of our general conference delegation from Greater New Jersey. And that came along with many more responsibilities than I realized. (laughs) (laughs) They never tell you the fine print, do they? We're good like that. (laughs) And I'm Kathleen Stoles. I serve as the associate pastor at Medford United Methodist Church. And my primary focus on ministry within the congregation is with small groups, discipleship, nurture kinds of things, and outreach ministries. But along with that, I get to do all the kind of general elder kinds of things general pastoral things. Um, we are multiple hats. Right? Exactly, exactly, yes. And Dr. Stevens? And my name is Daryl Stevens. I'm a deacon of the Texas Annual Conference, serving in the Eastern Pennsylvania Annual Conference. My primary appointment is at Lancaster Theological Seminary as Director of United Methodist Studies. And my secondary appointment is to Grandview United Methodist Church. As Tom was describing, I also have a a number of different activities and um, paid and unpaid. My calling is to teaching and scholarship. I also teach courses at Princeton Theological Seminary, and I teach in the course of study program at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. I also do a lot of independent scholarship. That's a way of saying it's unpaid. (laughs) 
uh, research. You hear that word a lot around this table. <laughs> a lot of yeah, unpaid work. And uh, in, in my secondary appointment at Grandview, I participate in the, the music ministry of the congregation, and I also uh, teach. So currently I'm co-teaching a class for adults on the ecclesiology document, Wonder, Love, and Praise. Mm, wonderful. Now, everyone here at the table, all our guests are ordained deacons of the United Methodist Church, and we were discussing last episode about what distinguishes a deacon from an elder, and the two areas specifically that deacons are called to are compassion and justice. So how do you see compassion and justice uh, in your current position? Tom, would you like to start and go around? Sure. So... um Last year, in addition to general conference, there was a jurisdictional conference at which we passed something called the jurisdictional call to action around systemic racism, white privilege, and white supremacy. And it called upon every annual conference in the Northeast, as well as agencies like mine that are affiliated with the jurisdiction, to address this in our training, uh, in our uh, events that we host, um, and just reorienting everything we do with an eye to dismantling racism. And so um, I've taken that as uh, a good excuse to help our organization um, move a, the move the needle a little bit from mercy to justice. So if you think about mercy as um, you know meeting the direct needs of those who are without, uh, and justice as trying to figure out the root causes of those needs and address it further upstream, um, that's what I'm hoping that we'll be able to do with short-term missions. Um, in the United Methodist Volunteers and Mission Program. My, my call to ministry really started with social justice and is based in social justice, so that's why it was a no-brainer for me to become a deacon because justice ministries is what it's all about. Medford United Methodist Church is a very traditional, middle-class, white community. A uh, few years back, or a year and a half ago, we started a study of the book um, America's Original Sin. Jim Wallace. Jim Wallace's book. Because I don't think that the majority of us who are white know that we have white privilege. Um, it's just so much a part of who we are that we don't even know it's there. We had to name it. And so we took time in a small group to name it. And that small group was 20-some people. And one of the things that we did was also partner with Turning Point United Methodist Church in Trenton to help us to start to dialogue with people who are not like us and in a setting, a church setting, that's not like us because we're very suburban and they're in an urban setting. So there's lots of differences. So we're having some conversations and exchanges, pulpit exchanges with them. So that's where we are with the social justice aspect of things. As far as compassion goes, the first thing that I did when I got to Medford was to create what we call a caring team and to train caring teams similar to a Stephen Ministries kind of thing, but to help open up those lines of compassion so that the congregation itself has some kind of connection with one another, a deeper connection with one another. So, yeah. And this is Daryl Stevens. Love and justice are really central to my identity as a deacon and what I do. 
I teach Christian ethics, and so ethics is uh, all about justice and how we live out the law of love in our lives, love of God and love of neighbor and love of self. So I teach seminarians. I teach local licensed pastors. I regularly conduct workshops in healthy boundaries and sexual ethics for clergy. And to me, that is a justice issue. In my secondary appointment at Grandview United Methodist Church, over the past few years, I've worked on a book of sermons and theological reflections from the congregation about open and affirming ministry. Uh, This congregation had voted to become a, a reconciling congregation shortly before I arrived. And the book, Out of Exodus, is scheduled for publication in the spring of 2018. So that's a way, for me, of promoting justice for gay and lesbian persons and advocacy in a compassionate way. Because this book is all about God and how God has acted in this congregation and with these people. It's not a polemical book. doesn't make any arguments. It just it's a, a book of testimonies and sermons. Um, so to me, showing how this congregation went through a very long period over 10 years of discernment is a way to encourage other congregations and other people that um, this is not a quick process of, of learning compassion and learning justice. And this has led this congregation to discussions of white privilege and race and issues of immigration. All sorts of justice issues have come out of this that um, are unrelated, seemingly unrelated to being a reconciling congregation. Since you started, do you think it's gotten any easier or harder, you know, to do your job as a deacon? And anybody who can chime in who wants to, <laughs> we'll give you some time to think about it. <laughs> when I first started, it was, they didn't know what a deacon was. Um, it was 1997 and we were brand new. So 20 years later, people finally know what a deacon is. Um, but the expectation when you serve in a local church as your primary appointment, at least my experience has been, they still expect you to do everything like a generalist would. So I have to remind them why I have my specific call as a deacon and what sets me apart. So we get to do that occasionally. And I am thankful that I serve with an elder who really offers opportunities to say what the difference is. So we constantly are describing our ministries as two different types of ministry. I'm glad to hear you say that, Kathleen. <laughs> You've been at this Never going to get the harder part. <laughs> no, I, I would say that it's easier to, but um, you have some more perspective on it than I do. And, and I would say it's easier largely for the same reasons that you have said, because I think there's just more precedent now. People are becoming more familiar with more examples of deacons in ministry. Every church placement that I've had, I'm not the first deacon who's been in that church. Uh, so I feel particularly blessed that I don't have to fight that fight there. But um, in most churches, it's not like that. I mean, for a deacon with a primary appointment in a local church, you've got to be on a multi-staff setting. 
Um, and so you're more likely to have had different expressions of ministry in that. You know, I also think that it's been very helpful that boards of ordained ministry are really focusing with uh, candidates to express the difference between uh, – their understanding of the the roles of deacons and elders in the church. And I think that's created a whole new raft of ministers who can help articulate that in the congregations. Yeah, I, I think I would just like to add that I think it's important for the for the elder, for the senior pastor to to make sure they understand and that they offer the differentiation to people too, so that they don't continue to think of us as the same. It's really important for elders to understand who deacons are, whether it's the district committee on ministry, a local church, or the board of ministry. That's been the hardest thing, I think, is trying to explain ourselves to and help elders to understand who we are. Wow. I would agree with Tom and Kathleen. Um, when I first joined the Order of Deacons, there was very much a sense that we were pioneers in defining what a deacon is more than 20 years after the establishment of the permanent order of deacons it's no longer as much of a struggle to define the deacon but i still find that the the default and within the church structures is elder so any structure in the the conference that's designed for clergy it's designed for an elder itinerating in a pastoral position and any, anyone outside of that box really has to adjust. Um, and so that's a continual challenge within the church, how to treat deacons as clergy equally, uh, yet not um, force the, the, the box of an elder around our activities and our, um, our, our ways of um, connecting as clergy. Hmm. That's interesting. But also the... The face of the church is changing, right? The, the landscape is changing. The church is changing. As the church continues to figure out what it, it actually is, right, in 2017, in today's world, what role do you see de- deacons playing in this uh, changing landscape, if you will? Well, I think elders uh, and deacons can work together to connect church and the world. I know it's a distinctive um, calling of the deacon to connect church and world. Um, and that's an exciting place for deacons to be, to, um, to be in innovative ministries, out-of-the-box ministries, um, ministries that don't fit the pattern that um, we've already had established. Um, most deacons are in a specialized form of ministry, as Kathleen mentioned. Um, that is my specific calling is the teaching um, other deacons have specific callings in, in other professions as police officers, social workers, um, and lawyers. And each of these specialized forms of ministry helps us connect with the world in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I like that you clarify that, that mm-hmm. elders are generalists, deacons are specialists. Mm-hmm. Would that be a, uh, a correct assumption to make? Right. Mm. Uh, I would say... Yes, but um, <laughs> having <laughs> been in a situation like Kathleen's before, because the expectation of you is that you're going to be a generalist, you sometimes have to pick up more skills than you originally had. And uh, I am less a specialist now than when I began ministry. Uh, it's just because folks in the pew really, when it comes down to it, when you're grieving, you don't care if it's a deacon or an elder. 
you need a pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, anybody who is ordained and in a position of authority in the local church is going to act that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's part of our calling to compassion, too. Yeah. So um, yes and no. Um, I think it gets blurry when you're specifically in the local church. Mm. I think you have to remind people what your specialty is. Right, right. Sometimes you (laughs) have to. It's like, hey, remember me. But I also do this, right? (laughs) But going back to the original question, um, where do you see, uh, maybe Tom and Kathleen, uh, what role will deacons play in the changing landscape of the church? So I'll say that when I take a long view of where I think the church is heading, what mm. I see are shrinking congregations and large buildings mm. and congregations struggling with what do we do? We can't keep the lights on. We love our church, but it's not viable any longer. And so you have these awful conversations about you know 213 studies and closing churches, merging churches, et cetera. It's very painful, right? But I think because deacons are really um, called and experienced in keeping at least one foot out in the community, uh, that we can be part of the um, the dreaming that has to go on for the next stage of the church wow. that might look different than the stone edifices that we worship in every Sunday. It might be a much more transient worship space even that is really centered around activities that we do together that express this compassion and justice in the world, um, not just on Sunday, but the rest of the week. So... I feel like uh, the calling of the deacon actually articulates where the church needs to be heading in a lot of ways into the future, and that we have the exciting privilege of being able to play with that right now. I would affirm what what both Daryl and Tom have said. The church that I'm in is just completing a family life center, and it's only taken <laughs> 13 years for it to become a reality, but the dream that the congregation had 13 years ago was that the church was gonna keep growing and that they were gonna need all this meeting space. When it came right down to building it, it is one big space that's going to be multi-purpose. And we've been talking in the community about all the options and opportunities for them to use it rather than us for thinking that we're only going to use it for ourselves. Right. Every time somebody says, well, we won't have to be putting away those chairs anymore because we'll have our own space for the contemporary worship service. It's like, no, 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 this is a multi-purpose space. We're going to play volleyball. We're going to play basketball. We're going to have dinners. We're going to have theater. We're going to have battles of the band. We're going to have open mic night. We're going to have all these other things going on in there. We don't know what they are yet, but we've got to dream it. And so, yeah, those chairs are still going to have to be put away every week after worship, and they're going to have to come back out again when you want to worship. Um, and maybe they won't be in rows. Maybe they'll be around tables, or maybe the worship's going to look different. It's like, ah, no, don't change my worship. So even contemporary worship has to change. Um, so Yeah, I just got back from the Catalyst One Day Conference in Lancaster, and uh, the big statement that they were making was that um, contemporary is the new traditional. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of things that are considered contemporary now, like cool lighting, cool production, uh, like a, a band playing music, flashy production. That's becoming traditional now. Uh, what's next for the church? Uh, that the the rising generation doesn't really care about that anymore. Um, they're looking for something else. So, yeah. 
That, and the, that's and even the use of the space for the traditional sanctuary space, I think that deacons can help revision what that's going to look like too, and what we're going to do with that space. So, it's yeah, it's a changing time, and it's really exciting. Yeah, Tom, where you were talking about small churches, big buildings, two thirteen studies, it kind of hits home. I mean, the church I'm serving now is also in that process right now and discerning what is the future of our church, and what I see is not a a dying church. I, I just see a small group of people that are very committed, but just in a very, very large building that's too big. Um, but there's so much tradition. There's so much history there. It's hard to think about letting go a building. And and also kind of looking at the budget, right? You're like, oh, we can't afford another staff. We can't afford a a deacon. <laughs> but me, me as the local pastor of the church, I'm forced to think outside of the box and to think outside of the walls I see almost a blurring of the lines between the order of elders and the order of deacons, right? Uh, is is that how we're going to have to go? Elders becoming more like deacons, deacons becoming more like elders? Or, or is there room for to no, say, no, these are very dis- distinct orders and both are needed, uh, two different individuals, let's say, are needed uh, in our local churches? Yes and yes. <laughs> yes and yes. Um I think it would be a very healthy thing for pastors in local churches, whether they're local pastors or elders, to say people aren't just coming in the doors on their own anymore. We need to be, as we were talking about earlier, you know, like Wesley did, going out to the coal fields and the highways and the hedges um, and meeting people where they are. And that's the way that you encounter Christ, for one thing, um, in the faces and voices and life circumstances of uh, the folks who are outside of the church um, struggling, uh, suffering in some ways. And it's also how you build a church um, through engaging the world. So I would love it if um, more elders and local pastors started to see that as uh, the future and the growth strategy of the church. At the same time, I think our distinctive callings are necessary to help the church walk and chew gum at the same time, right? We need people who are really gonna care for the worship life of the church and care for uh, the pastoral care elements that have to happen uh, in a congregation that are just all-consuming sometimes. Um, And we need uh, ministers who can uh, look outward too and help the church turn outward. I think that um, if we think of deacons as entrepreneurs, that that's exactly the spirit that the local church needs now is entrepreneurial spirit. Yes, we may have our passion and our call to ministry, we may have our expertise, but how that plays out in the world varies from one of us to another, and it varies over our over time. So I would agree that they that there is still going to be a need for both types of ministers. I think what we'll find is that we should be able to work as partners maybe better than we've been working as partners, maybe not as separate. Um, and if you've got two small congregations, you could have an elder at one appointed to one and a deacon appointed to the other, and then those two, the partnership between those two congregations would be so much easier, I would think, mm. um, if wow, you had those spirits together, you know, working together in a new creative energy. So. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. Uh, Dr. Stevens, do you have anything to, to add? 
Well, I agree. The future of our church will depend on how we can collaborate as elders and deacons and licensed local pastors and laity, all in ministry together. I always go back to Frederick Beekner's definition of ministry, which is where my greatest gift meets the world's greatest need. And when I find that, and that resonates with my, my passions, you know, that's just a vital ministry. There's no stopping it. And we need to, as clergy, both deacons and elders, need to equip the laity to find their passions, to find their ministries. Um, I, I think that if we can reclaim the ministry of all Christians in that vital way, that what we do as elders and deacons will, will just be opening the floodgates for the laity to, to be in ministry. Great. Thank you so much. So I'm going to have you guys all answer, but first I'm going to ask Dr. Stevens, um, what has compelled you to remain a deacon? What was the most rewarding? What compels you? Um, why are you still a deacon? Well, to me, the, the most rewarding part of my ministry is, is when I'm teaching in a classroom and um, then you know, two, three years later, I get an email from a pastor saying, you know, thank you so much. And this is how it's um, how it's played out in my ministry, how it's helped me, how it's equipped me. I have revisited that decision probably every three, four, five years. What called me to ministry in the first place was seeing children suffering for the decisions that the adults had made. Wow. And so that's what continues to call me back it's like no the adults are still making stupid decisions and the kids are still suffering so as long as we've got suffering kids and stupid adults i figure i'll be in ministry <laughs> you'll be in ministry for a while job security you'll be in ministry for a very long time <laughs> they got switching over but the hope is that that cold ministry happened in northern ireland and in northern ireland they have started to learn how to live together mm. and so reconciliation is possible change yes. is possible yes and so as long as i keep seeing that hope mm -hmm. i can be in ministry one person at a time that's all you can do right? right so you're saying as long as we're still waiting for heaven on earth that you'll yeah, it's you'll as be simple a as that yeah. That's good. yeah that's a good way to put it I like that that sounds a lot better you know uh, i I was uh, fascinated by also hearing about the, just the camaraderie between deacons also. Um, cause just because deacons are so, so I forgot who, who mentioned it, but that deacons are specialists. Um, oftentimes there's this weird sense of competition going on uh, between uh, elders. I don't know if I should say this either, but <laughs> there's a lot of things I'm not sure if I should say. Um, there's a huge discrepancy, a huge imbalance though in the numbers of elders that are ordained and the number of deacons that are ordained. Mm -hmm. How do you guys feel about that? Well, I mean, there's been hundreds of years of the example of ordained elders in the church right, and right. 20 of ordained deacons. So it stands to reason that there would be fewer of us so far. However, if you look at the numbers in the pipeline, the greatest growth right now is among the diaconate. Um, there was a study recently, I forget where it came out of, Lewis Center um, mm. for Church Leadership maybe, that looked at these trends and of folks who are in the declaring stage, uh, the 
fastest growth. We're still small in numbers, but the fastest growth is of people who are declaring candidacy as deacons. I alluded to the ministry of all Christians earlier, but uh, when a person begins a discernment for ordained ministry, they read the Christian as minister, they learn about different forms of ministry, they get a, a mentor, and to me that that discernment process should be considered successful, whether it leads to ordination or not. But I often hear the language of dropping out of the process and there, the, there being no support or follow-up for lay people who are discerning their ministry as lay people. And I think that deacons get caught up in that current. In my experience, the Board of Ordained Ministry simply didn't know what to do with the deacon because we didn't fall into the patterns and, and the itineracy. And so, well, you're outside of the itineracy, we really don't have much to do with you. Blessings and good luck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the sentiment that I felt said that way. Amen. Mm -hmm. Daryl, can I pick up on that a little bit? I mean, you mentioned itineracy um, there, and I always get a little defensive about that because I feel like as a deacon, I have itinerated probably more <laughs> than if I had been an elder and, you know, would have probably stayed in uh, a single church for, you know, five or six years at a time. I've never been in one place for five or six years at a time yet in my ministry. Uh, I move around a lot, just not at the direction of a, a bishop um, always, uh, with the bishop's permission, of course, um, and with the bishop's appointment. But um, as deacons, we have to seek our own appointments first. You know, Kathleen talked about uh, feeling uh, pushed out of a couple of mm -hmm. appointments like that. Have you felt itinerant uh, in any way? I mean, I know that term has yeah, multivalence, but... I appreciate you um, emphasizing that. I've served in four different jurisdictions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That clears how, that up. <laughs> how, how many ordained elders can say that? <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> so you all kind of mentioned um, different how deacons is changing. Um, it's getting easier. It's getting a little harder. And there's going to be you know growing number of deacons. You know as we go further. You know. Um, so what do you think the role of the deacon will be in the near future? Um, do you see it changing in any way? We touched a little bit about on this. How about in 20 years from now? You know, Kathleen, you mentioned since 1997, it's been really new. You had to really define it for that and it took 20 years so what about 20 years in the future what does your position as a deacon look like i think that the the role of the deacon in 20 years will be changed most when the itinerancy of elders changes because um when, when and, and i see el itinerancy for elders as having a, a short lifespan at this point. But, um, there, there are just so many issues with that, um, with regard to work-life balance and family and dual careers and uh, you name it. So you think the itinerancy of the elder will change very soon? I anticipate that it will. We've already seen lots of changes in itinerancy and the way it's practiced. That's true. It's hard to imagine 20 years. <laughs> it's been 20 years, but what in the world is 20 years going to look like? Did you ever think you were going to get to this point? Let's, how about 20 years ago when you are kind of like, what am I doing? Did you ever think that you would get to where you are today? I really thought that I would 
be out of a local church. I didn't think I would be working in a local church. I thought I would have taken my ministry and been working for an organization, a nonprofit or something. I would like to see deacons be more specialized than I've been. And I think some of that has to do with the role models that I had. The role model that I had was an associate pastor who was an elder, but he said, no, I am called to be an associate pastor. And so I think some of that has been why I am still where I am. Um, So 20 years down the road, I think it's going to look more, much more like what Daryl and Tom are doing, where you have your specialized call to ministry and then, and also, yeah, your secondary appointments to a local church. I, I agree. I think that is a likely scenario. Uh, for one thing, as church budgets mm-hmm. decrease, there's only going to be room for one pastor in a lot more churches, so there's not going to be room for a deacon on staff. Mm-hmm. If you're already a deacon or you're headed that way, you're options are going to be outside the local church. Right. Um, I think so. But I also think that it's pretty significant that um, General Conference wrote into the discipline those words, compassion and justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having them written into the identity and at the forefront of our identity is going to call forth more ministries that embody uh, compassion and justice in creative ways. And so my hope for the next 20 years is that we get more out-of-the-box thinking and living uh, discipleship um, from the order of deacons that leads the church into a new vision for the future. Mm. If someone's listening to this podcast and discerning their call, feel they may be called to the order of deacons and not sure, what would you say to them? Realize that you're going to get resistance from people who don't understand the call. Don't back down because of resistance. Listen to the call that was placed in you by God through the Holy Spirit. Or said more simply, go with your gut. Uh, Really listen. Um, It really is listening to and discerning your call. Yeah. Yeah. And on a practical level, I would suggest connecting with the order of deacons, even as a discerning candidate, an exploring candidate. Most orders of deacons that I've engaged with are very welcoming of people who are discerning. And um, that's a a really helpful way to determine, is this the covenantal community I feel like I need to belong to? I do want to say that one of the more helpful things to me in my discernment process was attending the um, once every two years deacon dialogue that the General Board of Higher Education and Ministry hosts. And to be together in a room with like, 80 or 100 other deacons expressing their ministry in all these exciting ways really helped confirm the call in me um, when I didn't have a lot of other voices doing that. I also want to throw out some resources to those who are maybe discerning their call. Um, the UMC Deacons, has they have a blog. The UMC Deacons blog is deacons.gbhem.org. And also Margaret Ann Crane's book, uh, The United Methodist Deacon, was great. Really well put together, no nonsense, straightforward book that really clarifies what the order of deacons is. Thank you for hosting a conversation. Obviously, this is something we like to talk about. So thank you for giving us a forum. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was such it was so interesting hearing from you, Tom, a while back, and just hearing more about how this order of deacons. It almost felt like there was a secret society yeah, that was are. going on. That I, I was like, as I go deeper and deeper, it's like I'm getting more and more involved in this really cool secret society, and I'm very excited to share this with the world. So, 
All right. Are we, we doing last? We, we have a last question, though. <laughs> we have one last question one we last ask question. all our guests. All right. So we are the Uncovered Dish on Christian Leadership Podcast, and we're Methodists, and we like to eat. So if you can pick one type of food to eat for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no variations. I know this is the hardest question of all. I love Daryl's face. What will that one food be? Shrimp cocktail. Shrimp cocktail. That was fast. <laughs> Is it homemade shrimp cocktail? Or there's like a specialty like restaurant. Just any shrimp any cocktail. Shrimp pretty much any shrimp cocktail. It's pretty stri- straightforward, I think. Shrimp cocktail. It's funny because. I was going to say lobster, but then I thought, no, if I had to eat that three times a day, I'd probably get sick of it. So, um, risotto. Um, risotto? Uh, risotto. Uh, uh, so, this is yeah. a homemade risotto? Homemade risotto, some, uh, a lot of Parmesan cheese in it. <laughs> That's a what lot makes of it homemade. <laughs> right, I'm right. lactose intolerant, so when we said a lot of Parmesan cheese, I was like, oh boy. Well, I'm glu- After I'm day seven, I'll be like, <laughs> I'm gluten free, so, so hence the risotto, risotto. But yes. <laughs> gotcha. Well, Caitlin, you, you were referring to covered dish dinners at, at church. And right. In my mind, before you said the same dish the rest of my life, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, oh, I love you know, a good broccoli casserole or something like that. But if I have to choose one dish for the rest of my life, I have to go with John Wesley's The Duty of Constant Communion mm. and choose the bread. You have more time to think about that. <laughs> what a what a holy answer! A plus. <laughs> Give me Jesus. Here's the professor. That's why. <laughs> well, that's a great way to end the lecture. Um, thank you again for being on the podcast. We look forward to seeing you guys in action and seeing more deacons uh, rising with the rising generation rising up to respond to the call for the, to be a church as out in the community. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is produced by the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey at the Mission and Resource Center in Neptune, New Jersey. Your hosts were James Lee and Caitlin Deal. Special thanks to Tom Lank, Kathleen Stoles, and Daryl Stevens for their time. And also a special thank you to Paul Barnett, our podcast ministerial intern. If there are any topics you'd like us to uncover or any comments for us, you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. We'll talk to you soon.